friends. Welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. We're two modern mamas with a goal to inspire empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology, and mama to Bear and Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Hi guys, Laura here. I'm super excited for you to listen in to this awesome episode with Kezia from Whole Food Diary. I just wanted to give a quick little preemptive note here that sometimes throughout the episode, the there was a lot of static and the Wi-Fi connection was not awesome, but the content of the episode is totally worth listening to. And I know that you guys will give us some grace and we promise to keep the quality of our episodes continually improving. Thanks so much for being here, for listening, and we are so grateful to have you as a part of our tribe. Cheers. Hi guys, Laura here. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. I have a very special guest that I am kind of a fangirl of. Um, I've been following (laughs) Kezia for a while now on social media and I reached out and she's the kindest and has decided happily to come on our podcast and I'm super, super thrilled. So we are going to um, have Kezia on today from the Whole Food Diary. She's a mama of two and I'm going to go ahead and jump into her bio and then we're just going to get right into talking to her. So Kezia was born and raised. I'm saying that right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Kezia was born and raised in London, England and currently lives in a small town Northern Cal- in Northern California with her husband, Jared, and two children, Clayton and Rosemary. She is a wife, mother, recipe developer, and blogger at the Whole Food Diary, where her biggest desire is to help people find peace and feel empowered in their own journey of health. Raised in a large European family, Kezia's love of food, of good food, began at a young age around a sprawling table of happy relatives. Her family began to dig deeper into the story of food and health after the BSE scare in England, and it was a journey that continues to this day. After leaving school, she worked on a dairy farm, running a small herd of dairy cows before studying at the Royal Veterinary College in London. Man, there's so much to unpack here. I'm so excited. For the last five years, she's been putting her life online and digging deeper into the journey of clean living. What started as a journey with food has become a quest for conscious, healthy living in every area of life. From working to eliminate plastic and trash from her home, which we're going to dive into, to only buying ethically made clothes, to supplying local coffee shops with paleo treats to offer a healthy option, Kezia loves to share the journey and help people find manageable ways to make small changes. Food will always remain central, and her most recent journey has been in weaning their toddler onto a healthy diet of real whole foods. She wrote about the journey along with 40 plus simple recipes in her latest ebook, The Whole Food Baby, which I have gotten to read, and it is, I can't get enough of it. And I'm right there with you, 10 months in now, totally getting into real food. So I am just thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. You are so welcome. It's fun to join you. And how Thanks fun, you guys, me. that she has such a rad accent, too. <laughs> I feel like that really Just adds listen to the, for that. If for nothing else, just <laughs> listen for the accent. Totally adds to the episode. So today we're going to talk about motherhood, life, um, baby-led weaning, which I have totally respected and admired your approach, um, colic, which I know we actually get a lot of questions Ooh. on colic, and I know that's very fresh for you, um, preparing nourishing foods and 
last but not least, I definitely want to dive into your efforts, successful efforts to go plastic free. Um, but before we get into all the meat, we have a fun question for you. If you could only eat one thing forever, what would it be? Okay, so the first thing, I'll tell you, I was given a heads up on this question, but the first <laughs> thing that popped into my mind as soon as you said that was sprouted lentils, which I think I'm just a food geek, but they're so nutritious and I love them and there's so many ways to eat them that, I mean, another answer would be like almond butter, right. but I really can eat bowls of lentils, sprouted lentils every single day. I was actually a raw vegan for two years of my life and I kind of lived 50% off sprouted lentils. So, so when you that make might be one. sprouted lentils, do you eat them raw? I do. Yeah. Do you ever cook them I, after sprouting them or does that do, kind of take I, away some of the benefit? So that's why I would always eat them raw because I discovered them when I was on this journey of only eating raw foods. Um, and I feel like once I've gone to the five day effort of sprouting them, I want everything that's in them and I'm not going to cook them. But when I sprout stuff for my boys, I tend to cook it because it's a little more palatable for them. So. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. I have loved watching like, so you post these bowls of like the like sprouted grains and your different uh, nut and seed butters and all the like you make carrots look yeah. beautiful when you ribbon them. And I just, <laughs> it makes me want to eat like all, every bowl you post. I just, I want it. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. If you guys haven't checked out her Instagram do, because I love it because it's the beautiful balance between like gorgeous photos that I'm sure you just take on your phone at home, but then also like real life. And so I think you walk that line very beautifully, which I love. Yeah. You have to have real life in the mix. Very authentic, which is beautiful. Um, okay. Well let's dive in a little bit more into your story. So we got some of that in the, in the, um, bio there, but can you tell us a little bit about your journey to a little bit more, I guess, about your journey to get where you are today with your focus on, um, whole foods and healthy living. And especially I think what's unique about you compared to other people we've had on is your focus, which I so respect and admire on more like eco-conscious living as well. Um, and I also don't know what BSE, what the BSE scare is. So I'm going to have to hear a little bit more on that. So tell us a bit about your story in whatever capacity you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I can kind of start right there at the BSE scare. So I won't tell you what it stands for. It's a long word. What was known as um, which really affected all our beef in the UK. Um, when I was around about 10, I think. Um, and there was just big fears about eating beef and that humans would contract this disease, mad cow disease. Um, and so my mom, before it was a widespread problem or widespread concern, my mom cut it out. My mom was kind of a little always on the forefront of what was happening in food. She had done home economics at university and just was a little more clued in. So she cut beef from our diet, which we had a pretty simple diet growing with the army pepperoni sticks in our lunchboxes that were like the coveted food. Generally, our lunchboxes were not the same as the other kids at school, and I always wanted the other ones. But we got this one like pepperoni thing, and suddenly they disappeared. And that was kind of my first awakening to food isn't always what it seems. And there's a story behind my food before it lands on my plate. And I'm just a very inquisitive mind always. And so I began to just, even as a kid, ask questions. And from then we started going to an organic meat farm and we would get all our meat straight off an organic farm. And then just going and seeing the animals as a eight, nine, 10 year old and going, okay, there, yeah, there's a story before it hits my plate. And I just thought everything, all food was good and it isn't. And what's good food and what's bad food and kind of just threw me into this journey. 
of of realizing that I actually turned vegetarian a couple of years after and was vegetarian the whole way through high school and but like a researching into it vegetarian I wore vegetarian shoes for a season of my life um so yeah that was the beginning of that and then my my mind is a science mind I really just love science and if you tell me to do something I'm not going to do it until I've dug for hours into why I shouldn't do it and I will either radically believe you or radically oppose you one way or the other depending on what my conviction is but I just don't do anything because I'm told to but that means when I did dig in and find things that I really believed with food I really ran with them and really had the conviction to change what I was eating or what I was doing but I mean I've gone through so many different ways of eating I've done like I said the whole raw vegan thing vegetarian the only meat that I like raised the animals myself or killed myself or I mean I've done all ends of the spectrum um and then every new health fad that comes out I will deeply research and try to understand and um so I said in the bio I spent a few years at the studying veterinary medicine that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life um I discovered when I got there that I could do it and I could pass all my exams but it did not make me come alive so it's actually one of the hardest decisions of my life to leave university but it just wasn't making me come alive and I knew I didn't want to have a career that didn't make me come alive so I did the preclinical years and then left but it set me up with um, an ability to understand the science behind all these food trends things like that so I can really dig in and it's just very slow twists and turns and um, then I think coming to America so I came to America when I was 20 and I spent the last 10 years here and food is very different in Europe and newsflash so um, that made me really two these things in Europe without asking any questions, I have to ask a few more questions. And so again, that made me dig into different foods and what I've done. The connection is, I don't know if you can hear me, but the connection's really bad on my end. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. Okay, there you are. I lost after, um, let's see, one of the hardest decisions to leave veterinary school. I think that's where oh, I yeah. left off. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the hardest decisions of my life to leave. I didn't want a career that I didn't thrive in. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I left. Um, but it gave me an ability to understand the science behind these different food trends and to dig in and to actually have genuine understanding and not just run with a tabloid headline about what I should be cutting out of my diet. So I really love that. And it's just been a slow journey of working out what works best for me and then for our family. Um, And coming to America was a big change for me, realizing things I've been happy to eat in Europe without asking questions in America. It just was different. And I had to dig a bit more. And so it just made me really want to understand every ingredient that I was eating and putting on my family's plate. Um, And then I found you just can't dig that far into food without realizing that the values that you hold for food stretch into other areas of life too. And that was really where the plastic and waste journey began for me. I didn't want our food packaged in plastic because of, you know, leaching chemicals and things like that. And then I realized, oh, there are so many other facets to the plastic debate and the plastic problem that I just, and you know, that quest for information for me means that once I have the information and I'm not good at ignoring it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm frustrated by my own conviction and wish I could unknow things, but that's not possible for me. I am the same so, way. <laughs> so it's hard. It's awesome, but it's hard. Yeah, exactly. And 
you know, some other people are able to know things and then not run with them, which sometimes I wish I could be like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So not everyone understands the journey that I've gone on because I'm so black and white about it. Mm -hmm. But that's that's how I roll. Um, I love it. My my dad, if we go over for dinner, like a big family dinner, he'll buy me and my husband and my daughter a like a nice like a local grass fed, really high quality piece of meat, and then serve everyone yeah. else like like conventional. And I'm like, I wish he would buy it for everyone, but it's also very sweet because he knows that I am so yeah. black and white that I won't eat anything else. So he buys it for me, which yeah. is it's awesome. That is a good. Yeah, speaking my love language. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Totally. Awesome. So, what brought you to the U.S.? Um, I came to school ten years ago. Okay. Um, on my journey of leaving veterinary school, and then was in this like I have pursued this for the last years of my life because of the way the English high school system works. I had to decide that that was the career that I wanted at fifteen. Oh my gosh. And so I had poured my life into it. Um, and like every seven of time had been, you know, working on farms and getting, um, experience and things like that, that at 20 or 21, when I stopped, I had no clue kind of who I was. It was a big, I think midlife crisis at 21 <laughs> for me, I'm just not knowing who I was or what I was doing. So I just went on this quest to help. What am I going to do with my life? And that led me out here. And then I never intended to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually vowed I would never come to America, so I don't say never anymore. Funny. Um, but um, I then married, met and married my wonderful husband, who is a Texan. So Funny. that has led us to, to stay here. And now I love America. I really do. Um, I love small town living, which is what we do. But yeah. it's, especially on the food side, Northern California is an incredible place to live. And I'm very aware of that when I post the things that I'm able to have access to, mm-hmm. that we have access to a ton of stuff up here. But I love it. And yeah. small town means you can meet the people that grow your food and own the chickens that lay your eggs, which is really sweet. It's so funny because yeah. when we first connected, I was like, I, I'm going to come. Maybe I'll come to you and we, we can record in person. I live in Northern California, too. And then it's like, oh, no, it's actually a six-hour okay. drive. Yeah. <laughs> California's Everyone- big. Every, oh, sorry. Go on. I was just saying California is pretty big. It's massive. And everyone thinks I live in L.A. I get emails all the time like, come to this event in L.A. And I'm like, just because I'm into food and I live in California, it doesn't mean I live in the Los Angeles area. But Totally. Yeah. At some point, I do want to come out and, and see your town because it seems your farmer's market seems amazing. Oh. Uh, the, it was the Kezia Bowl. What's the place that serves the Kezia Bowl? Is that what it's called? So it's, yeah, it's a little um, juicery in town called Assis. And so cool. they invited me to create a bowl. But, Do you get um, that bowl was, for life for free? They're really sweet to me. Yeah, I yeah. Bet. They take care of us. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. you post uh, so much about it. I, like I would eat there daily if I lived there probably. Um, I love how you blend bowls like that with little sugar. I think that that's one thing that also sets you apart is, and we'll get into your food, but um, you, a lot of people who I feel that are um, more plant-based sometimes go super high on sugary foods and you have such a beautiful balance where you're able to eat super nourishing foods and not necessarily overload the sugar. Um, and it's, I find that to be outstanding because I am so into vegetables right now and you help make them look absolutely appetizing, which is wonderful. They look does make a difference, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I could eat just an ugly bowl of I think the small things like how you present it and how you get excited about it do make such a difference. So mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. 
Awesome. Okay. Well, I want to get into food for sure, but I want to start actually with um, a little bit more on the eco-conscious stuff. Mm. So when did you make the decision to go um, plastic free? And then how has that journey been for you in terms of how I think it uh, like first thought, I'm like, I could do that. But then you slowly start to realize like how many things are plastic and how much of our food comes in plastic. And it's just, it's absolutely insane. So how was that journey? When did you start and how has that journey been for you? It's been a slow journey that I would say picked up right at the start of this year. Um, but you know, we're in California, so we can't use plastic bags or we have to pay for plastic bags, but that happened in Europe a way back. So the idea of not taking a plastic grocery bag is, you know, I've been doing that part for years. Um, and was, I definitely looked at people who still took them, like you're still taking a plastic bag from a grocery store serious. And then half of the groceries that I was buying were in plastic. So there was no sense to that argument. But um, so it kind of slowly picked up for me. And then, like I said before, it kind of first came into my life more than plastic bags from the not wanting my food packaged in plastic from a chemical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the beginning of this year and I just looked at our groceries and went, I am throwing away so much trash every time I unpack my grocery haul. And this is insane. And as I began to just look more into what plastic does and, you know, it doesn't biodegrade, so it lives forever on the planet and can cause so many problems to, um, the oceans and wildlife and, you know, it's there forever. So I just began to go, this shouldn't be in our world. We should as much as we can get rid of it. And I'm not plastic free disclaimer. We fully have things that are plastic in our house, but I've limited it to essentials. Mm -hmm. So there is nothing that is non-essential. So I used to buy different bars that were in plastic. It was like, my son loves them. He needs them every now and again. But then I went, this is not essential. So we're at essentials and I don't force my husband onto the journey. So whether something that he wants that's packaged in plastic, he gets that. We try and do the best. I feel like that's so healthy. forcing anyone to have a value doesn't work. They have to find the value for themselves. And he really has, and he does so much, but there's little things like chips. He doesn't want to go without chips. So he gets his chips in plastic, but then I'll do my part and try and find the best that I can. So we actually buy chips. Um, I think the company is late July mm-hmm. and their chip bags are recyclable through a company called TerraCycle. So we send all our bags, all chip bags off to TerraCycle and they have a special way to recycle them. So we kind of meet in the middle. We find cool. a way for him to still get what he wants, but I can stick to that value as much as possible. So compromise. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's what yeah. marriage is about. That's and love. Loads of love, yeah. but also compromise. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> cool. So yeah. what if some of the, what are some of the ones that were relatively easy to make the switch versus the ones that were kind of surprisingly difficult? Yeah. I mean, anything that you can buy in bulk is just, you just have to think of an extra step before you leave the house and take a bag with you. Right. So I have cotton bags that I take with me and then anything that you would normally buy, like a pound of rice in a plastic packet, mm-hmm. I just get my pound of rice from the bulk section. So that's easy. And most towns, if you research a bit, do have some form of bulk section, you know, in somewhere. So, um, those were all of the easy ones to find. Um, the hardest, hardest one is meat because it's a USDA regulation that has to be sold in plastic. So the only way to do that, which is my next plan to do, but we're not there yet is to, if I buy a portion of a cow, I can then find the butcher and they'll package it in paper for me. Um, but that is like the hardest, hardest one. 
Um, and you guys and then, don't eat that much meat anyways, or at least you don't. So exactly. So that's been my solution is where I can't get something out of plastic, just reducing the amount of it that we buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I'm cutting plastic a different way. So yeah, that's been yeah. a hard one. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's awesome. That's good to know. I think this is, it's eye opening for people because I think we walk through life and we don't think about it that often. And this is something that I'm hyper aware of because like you said, for me, it started with the, um, the health implications of constantly being exposed to plastic. And especially now with my daughter, you know, there's, there's so, even if something says BPA free, there's still so many toxins leaching out of that plastic. And then you put it in the microwave or you put hot food in it, or you leave a water bottle in the car and it sits in the sun. It's like, it, everything is made exponentially worse. And it's amazing how many baby things are made from plastic. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and totally. so, and it's actually, Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, it's actually been looking at my kids that really motivated so much of my plastic journey because yeah. plastic probably won't affect I like that. That it's really become a problem that affects their generation and so I felt like oh I can't do this to them like for the sake of convenience for me as a mom for this child I'm creating a problem that his generation is going to have to rectify and that just didn't feel right to me so looking at my kids has been a huge motivation to me when I don't want to because I love a good Ziploc bag I mean yes they are convenient and easy and I love a packaged snack like yes give them all to me but then I look at my kids and I go no, I'm just willfully creating a problem for your generation. So no, thanks. And then it just makes it so much easier for me. So I love yeah. it. That's awesome. I think that's, I love that last bit you said about willfully making, like thinking about our next generation, like that world belongs to our kids. Exactly. Um, and if we aren't conscious now, we can't just be like, ah, whatever your, your, your problem, you deal with it in, in 20, 50 years it, that it kills me. And then it's our kids, kids, and then it's their kids. And exactly. I want this world to be just as beautiful for them. So yeah. thank you for yeah. that. I think it's super awesome. Okay. Shifting gears. Let's talk yeah. about that sweet, that sweet little babe of yours, Rowie. Um, That's sweet babe. Yeah. <laughs> she is so cute. Every time you post a photo, I just, <laughs> her big, beautiful eyes. I just, she melts me. So how old is she now? And can we hear a little bit? I know you posted her birth story on your website and I will link to that. Um, but as much as you'd like to share of that and then, you know, maybe a little bit about those first, I know the first weeks, right. They were pretty magical. And then yeah. the colic started. Um, so I, I know that our listeners would be so curious to hear about that because we get questions about colic all the time. And I know that for so many mamas, you're in that postpartum period, you're hormonal, you're tired, you're trying to recover. And then colic starts and it can seem like a whirlwind of like hopelessness. And so whatever you feel comfortable sharing, I would love to hear. Um, but yeah, I'll let you take it. Yeah. So yeah, she's four and a half months old now, Crazy. which I know it's the mantra of every mother and parent. Mm -hmm. Where does the time go? And then you have your kids and you're the one saying it. So yes, where does the time go? But she's four and a half months old. And yeah, I put the real and raw birth story on the blog. So if you're someone who likes to read those kinds of things, it's there in all its birth glory. But, um, we decided to be induced early. My son was very big and his shoulder got stuck, um, in labor. And so I had the same midwife for my second child and she's very, very natural. Um, so when she recommended an early induction, I fought it at first, but then I realized, no, the goal is a healthy child. And so much as I'm very crunchy and would like no drugs, um, in labor, I did, we chose to be induced. Um, so apparently my body doesn't like going into labor. So I had every induction drug, both kids, 
um, under the sun. But finally, it, I went into labor and actually had a very short labor. My first was a little scary, but my second was fast. And that story is yeah. posted. Yeah. I've read it and it, it had me in tears because I was pregnant when I read it. So I'll post both. I'll link to both. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. But both, I mean, I love birth. About two days after both of them, I've been ready to oh go back gosh. and do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thrilling experience. It and is. I was able to do it without drugs after the induction, which mm-hmm. I loved. And I've felt super present for the whole thing, which yes. I didn't for my first because it was okay. so long. Um, so yeah, it was just a beautiful, but go read it if you're that kind of person. And then, yeah, she really honestly slept for three weeks after she was born. I could not wake her up. You know, the doctors say, wake them up every four hours in the night until they regain their birth weight. And I would lie in bed for half an hour trying to get her to wake up and she wouldn't. And so I thought this is futile. We're all going to sleep. So for three weeks she slept and then all our family left town and she woke up and she cried and she did not stop crying. And honestly, my thought was, wow, I was really lucky with my first child to get a calm one. And now I just have a crier. Um, and it went on and kind of week turned into two, turned into three, turned into four. And she was waking three hours a night till um, like two months. And her days were rough. My days were rough. And her brother really struggled with it. He's two. And he found that super hard that she required all of me. Um, and yeah, he, he found it hard. Um, and then probably about two months into it, my sister called me and said, is it happening for more than three hours a day, three days a week? And has it been going on for more than three weeks? And I was like, girl, it's more than three hours every half of a day. Like it's three hours every three hours. Sister, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about how this actually is. Um, And she said, well, did you know that's the threshold for colic? And I went, oh, I didn't know that. And somehow actually that did help me, even though there's nothing they can technically do for colic. It's very um, unknown what it is. It helped me to know I'm not just dealing with a crying baby. Because I think my husband as well, we've both just been kind of battling through thinking, no, so many people have a crying baby. We've just got to do this and buckle up. And um, But once we knew, no, we're actually dealing with colic, it was a lot easier for us to admit to each other how we were feeling. And that really was the hardest part of it was the emotional side. And we had to admit to each other, we're not enjoying this. And I had to say, I feel no love for her. I have a three month old child that I feel no love for. When she cries, I don't want to pick her up. I don't have these maternal instincts that people tell you you should have. Um, I just want her to go to sleep and not cry. We all have a threshold and, and you're so human. And I think it's so like, yeah. I love that you're, you're okay admitting that because so many moms feel that way. And by just saying yeah. it aloud, it like, it makes it okay okay for us to feel our feelings, you know, which is so valid. And so much of the struggle of it is not being able to talk about how you feel or feeling like you shouldn't feel this. So I'm not going to feel it. I'm just not going to talk about it. But so that when when my husband and I were able to look at each other and say, this is rough, we do not enjoy this, you know? Um, but it also enabled me to go, okay, if this is colic, then there might be something I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, people recommended everything to me from chiropractic to essential oils to everything. But the thing that resonated with my gut was food. Mm-hmm. So I just went on a massive elimination diet and cut out everything that I could think of or that anyone recommended. Um, and literally, I kid you not, within two days, we had a completely different child. Um, the crying stopped. She became happy. And I think actually that was when we were able to talk about how hard it had been when we began to see her. And I think I realized, oh, I felt no love for you because now I'm beginning to feel love. Now I look at you and I want to pick you up and I haven't for the last two and a half months. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that 
it's been a, so that was about a month ago and it's been a really beautiful time now of, you know, him and his, my son and my daughter actually interacting and looking at each other and he's not driven crazy by her all the time and he's not acting out because she's crying all the time and I want to hold her and pick her up and, um, just discovering who she is. So that's been really sweet, but it's, it's a rough journey and I feel very lucky that we were able to figure it out, you know, quickly, relatively and easy. I know people who deal with colic for months. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are a mama dealing with that, I take my hat off to you and you are not alone mm-hmm. and you are a champion and whatever you feel is valid. So, so I love that. Thank you so much for that. It's huge. Um, so my next question then would be, um, what were the main foods that you cut out that you think that made the biggest difference? Um, so I cut out everything oh, like gosh. gluten, dairy, soy, caffeine, chocolate, cruciferous vegetables, beans, cabbage. And somehow yeah. your food still looks amazing. <laughs> I mean, I kind of lived off the same four dishes and I think I ate a jar of nut butter in literally two days when I first started this. Cause I was like, I don't know what am I? Oh, I cut nuts as well. So it was seed butter, but, um, the biggest one that I have found that directly affected her was oats, which is so weird because if you Google oats and breastfeeding, they are like the golden food of breast milk. But um, the two times that I've had oats back in my diet, she's had a really bad day after. So I know that's one that really affected her. Um, and then I've added back in caffeine. I put the first things back in my diet, the most important things back yes. first. So she's fine with that. She's fine with chocolate. And then last night I threw caution to the wind and ate cabbage and some black beans and she was fine. So I think maybe now she's got over it, but I know the oats um, were probably the biggest thing that were affecting her. So, Hi friends, Laura here. I am so excited to announce that the Modern Mamas podcast has joined forces with Paleo Valley. If you've been following me for long, you know that I absolutely love and appreciate their products because they've been such an important part of my journey to health and then also now Evie's journey, especially with her first foods. Our absolute favorite in this household is the grass-fed organ complex. We also love the beef sticks and their brand new turkey sticks and take them with us basically everywhere we go on all of our travels. Some other of our favorites include the organic super greens, which are great for smoothie bowls or smoothies or just taking down the hatch right as they are. We love the grass-fed, non-denatured whey, the superfood bars, which are loaded with collagen, and um, I cannot wait to now try their new Essential C Complex. Don't miss out. You can get an awesome deal. Just head to our show notes for the discount code and link and try them for yourself. You will not be disappointed. Enjoy. Well, that probably helps you a little bit in thinking about first foods for her when the time comes. Maybe oats won't be the best food for that one. (laughs) They will steer away from them for a little while. Although I I really do, and I talk about this in the journey of baby feeding, but I really believe in feeding them a a varied diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the latest studies do show that actually early introduction of foods can help um, children not to develop allergies, even when they're predisposed. So as much as I can, I'm not going to be scared to feed her things. And, you know, if she has a problem, obviously we'll back away. But um, I love that. Aiming for a balanced, full, varied diet. We've been doing the same. I basically, my rule is anything on my plate, she can eat. Because if she reaches for food on my plate, she gets it. Um, Because I want her to feel that, like 
she anything's yeah. available and so she's I mean she'll eat scrambled eggs more like, like she, we did just yolk for a long time and then we said now I was eating scrambled eggs and she reached for it and they had like turmeric and garlic and cumin and paprika and she just like she loves the spices and the flavor and I just I think it's so fun so I'm excited um about that and I want to dive into that for sure so I guess we can now now that we're there and it's amazing yeah. now what she's four and a half months so when did you start with Clayton um, in terms of the baby led weeding stuff? When did he, I, did you wait for him to show interest? Did you start one day? Let's start there and then we can, can kind of dive in a little deeper. Yeah, I started right at six months. Um, I was, I couldn't wait for mm-hmm. him to, mm-hmm. loving food so much. I couldn't wait for him to experience that. I would say he showed signs of wanting food from about four months and like reaching at mine and looking at mine, but he also would like reach for my jewelry or a pen or as it, um, and just from all my reading and all the big bodies are now also suggesting waiting till more around six months to start food rather than, you know, when we were kids and it was start them at three months. So now more of the common thinking is six months. So I chose to wait for that. Um, and you know, that's kind of about when they can begin to sit up and grab food for themselves and they lose the gag reflex and things like that. So there's a lot of developmental features that change around six months. So that felt like a good time to us. Awesome. That's great. And you'll probably do the same with, with, uh, Rowie. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So then what, tell us a little bit more about your approach. I think some people might have an idea of what baby led weaning is, but, um, what was your approach with Clayton from the beginning? Yeah. I, sometimes I'm nervous to use the phrase baby led weaning, even though I do, because I feel like I am being bad to the true baby led weaning camp. It's like a dog thing was truly baby led weaning. Mm -hmm. Um, cause, um, I would say it wasn't baby led. I led it. Like I lead my kids lives. I, I choose, you know, when they go down for a nap and when they eat, even in, you know, milk feeds right now, I'm choosing when she has them, you know, based on her hunger as well. But, um, my kids don't dictate my house. So, um, that is so awesome. Maybe guided, but, but mama led or mama guided. And ba- I don't know how you would, but you know, as with everything, as I was pregnant, I began to really research food and how I wanted to do that. And honestly, when I started, I had no grief for anything other than rice cereal at four months. That was what I thought. We lost, yeah. Babies on. Hold on, I need, to, I need to pause you. Back to rice cereal at four months. real food. Yeah, rice cereal at four months was really all that I had a grid for. Um, but more and more, I researched. I began to see people feeding, you know, pieces of food and not grains, but real vegetables and fruits and things like that. And it just intrigued me. Um, and you know, like I said, I researched, and so I felt like the science behind it backed up that approach um and like even the world health organization is more pointing people down that road so it felt like a solid way to go um and then and i didn't want to spend my whole weekends making purees to freeze for the week so that was I'm honestly right there with a you yeah no way no way decision uh-huh. um so but then i knew that i didn't want to do what i saw a lot in the baby led weaning world not to throw that camp under the bus but was parents not necessarily eating super healthily and then feeding their kids whatever was on their plate. Yes. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to completely do that, but I didn't want to do the rice cereal puree route. I wanted to find a midway that was starting with real whole foods, but with healthy, clean 
real food. So, um, and I didn't really find many people that were doing that out there. So that was kind of the journey that we went on and why I chose to then write the ebook to show how we had done it, not just feeding them anything, but being selective, but still having it be real whole foods and not purees. And then just some tricks that we found along the way of the way that things work better, like avocados with their skins on in slices were way easier because otherwise peeled avocado just turned to mush and the little tricks and things like that that we found. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the start of it. So you would give him like a, what, a half an avocado still in the peel? I would slice it. So it was like a wedge, okay. um, but leave the peel on and that helped him help keep it whole and it wouldn't just turn to mush and he could still grip it. Otherwise it just got slimy and, and then slid out of his it kind of oh. like an, a slice of orange, like out of the peel. I'm trying he to would, he tends to eat it like lengthways and just kind of bite it off and pull the skin cool. out of his mouth. I love that. So we that do big works. slices without the skin. Um, and <laughs> her newest thing now is picking it up and then just squeezing it and it squ- squirts out her fingers, which is so funny. Um, yeah. So I, I think I'll try that next because I love watching too, like the dexterity they learn from. But I put oh, yeah. different things in front of her, and then watching her like specifically think like I want that food, that piece, yep. and then picking it up with her pincher fingers and bringing it to her mouth. I just I love watching that. Um, I think it's super cool to see them develop that. And um, there's something just very I guess I shouldn't use the word baby light either because I put the food in front of her or I like decide what I'm gonna eat. I find, like you were saying, it's so hard, or it's not, it is, it's hard and time intensive to make purees. Um, I find it very easy to just make myself food and then give her what she wants. It's, it's, for me, it's, it's very easy. It makes feeding her very easy. When we eat out, she knows, like she can just sit on my lap and we share food and it it makes things so much easier. And then once she can like sit up on her, on her own, we'll eat out at restaurants. And I just feel as though it will make life easier for us in the long run to do it this way. So now that you have a, he's two, what, two and a half or so. Yeah. Have you found that to be the case? Oh, definitely. And it, I mean, I think there's different things that have played into it, but we were the same going out to restaurants. I think I took our own food to a restaurant one time and it's because I knew that they had a very limited menu and he wouldn't be able to actually get the things in his mouth. Um, but otherwise we just found things that were on the menu that he could eat. And, um, and it did, I think, give him a much wider ranging palate. Um, but also, I mean, I wasn't always catering to what I thought he would be able to eat. He just worked with what there was. And just like you said, with your eggs, if there are spices on it, he had some. And if, you know, new foods and new flavors all the time and new ways of cooking, um, I think really helped him to just eat whatever. And now um, he's pretty good. We, we He's two. We have meltdowns. We, But I don't then cook him something different. I, You know, so that's that's really helped and I have which is probably the most controversial part of the book and the part that people ask me the most about but we don't snack mm-hmm. and that definitely plays into it as well and so when he comes to a meal he's hungry mm-hmm. and he's ready to eat so that that makes and we did that from the beginning so even again that's another reason why it wasn't baby led he didn't just get to cry and I would put food in front of him um he ate at specific meal times but a minute he always came to the table hungry and ready to eat. And then they are so much more ready to try anything that you put in front of them. So yeah, we don't snack either. I guess her, her only snacks are uh, from my boob, (laughs) but in terms of like actual eating, she eats when we eat and I eat, you know, three times a day. And so does she. And, um, I love that. I I think I love that there's a little controversy there, but also that you hold you like you are, it's, 
you're not ashamed or, or it's, you're unapologetic about it because you're, you share so much to the world. And I feel like the only, the, the only pushback or not even the only response, not pushback should be gratitude because of how much you put out, even when you're going through like the real hard time with Rowie, like you still were sharing and giving information and sharing your experiences and people could take so much from that. So I'm grateful. And I think people are going to love this book. So the overall takeaway from the book, you, what was, can you tell us a little bit more about it so people can um, get an idea before they go and grab it? Yeah. I mean, really, I wanted to remember for myself. <laughs> That's why I started. I realized, you know, so my kids are two years apart and on everything I was going, wait, what did we do for Clayton? I don't need, how did I forget? It's two years ago. So I wanted a good memory of everything that we had fed him and just the different things that we'd learned. So I started writing it down. Um, and I started an Instagram account for him to journal all of his meals when he first started eating, which was the whole food baby. And so then I just kind of worked from there and put 40 or 50 of the recipes that we used the most for him and the first things that we fed into a book so that I would have them and to give it to other people because there wasn't much that I found out there um, when we started with him. And I've also you know, talk to a lot of parents who maybe their journey hasn't been the healthiest, but they want to do a different journey for their kids. And so I really wanted to help people and not just assume that everyone knows how to make a sweet potato wedge and then make people feel disempowered when they want to feel that, feed that to the child and they don't know how to. So there's some really simple techniques, um, in there for things that, you know, simple ways to start. And then just the tricks that we like the avocado thing, the tiny things, but that really made a difference to us. Um, then there are a lot of written chapters as well, where I talk just about our philosophy and why we did certain things and how it worked for us. So I unpack the whole snacking thing in there and talk about even just the different phrases that we use between meals. If he says that he's hungry and what we do about that and different things like that and eating out at restaurants. And then I talk a little bit about food waste in there as well. And some ways that we combated that because it can feel like a very wasteful time if they take one bite of something. And then, so just some different ways that we combated that. And, and then I give kind of all of our schedules from birth with milk feeds and meals and how we manage that and sleep routines and all the different things. So I just tried to pile on everything that I could from our experience. Um, so kind of take what you like and leave what you don't, but there's all of the, everything that we found in there. So yeah, that's such a valuable resource. We're definitely going to link to that in the show notes. So you guys can head to the show notes to find it there. Um, I'm super excited. So now that he's two and a half, what is a typical day look like for Clayton in terms of, um, meals? How much is he eating? What does he eat on like a, like, what did he eat yesterday? For instance, uh, yesterday, uh, he stole an Easter egg yes. and devoured half of it in our office. Oh my gosh. I saw that on yes. their stories. Yeah. Yesterday was actually not a typical day, but it was hilarious. Um, so the kid yeah, loves chocolate. I love it. Oh. And he likes coffee too. Yeah. Like he sometimes he sips he, your coffee. Just this morning, Jared handed me an empty coffee cup and said, Oh, he got the last half of my coffee. <laughs> so, and this, we're not talking like caramel latte sweetened. This is black French press. Amazing. Oh, child. Um, but yeah, so he wakes up around about seven, six thirty-seven, and then we eat breakfast and he'll just eat whatever we eat. So it's usually eggs and toast, or this morning we had waffles and pumpkin seed butter. And so just something simple. We, we rotate through just a few things for breakfast and then we eat lunch. Him and I eat eat lunch early, usually when Jared's not home on the weekdays, because if we eat breakfast around about seven then between 11 and 12, we'll eat lunch. Um, that's usually I'll cook up a bunch of bulk things for the week and then we'll make bowls from it. So it might be quinoa, sweet potatoes. Yesterday it was some roasted veggies that I put over quinoa and he had a complete meltdown when I added the vegetables to his quinoa, complete meltdown. Um, so I just let him know, Hey, you don't have to eat that. Um, 
just eat what you want and leave what you don't. We had a little conversation and then he ate the bits that he wanted and tried to leave the rest and then discovered that he was actually hungry and still in his meltdown, not even looking at me, he ate the rest of his food. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, well, there was a bit of Easter egg in between those two meals, but aside from that, no snacking, which means he's very motivated to eat even when he doesn't think he wants something. Um, so that was lunch. And then we usually do four meals a day. So we don't snack. But when I, when I say snacking, I mean just like kind of mindless whenever I feel about hungry, I'm going to eat. But we have four scheduled meals a day. So I kind of call the third one an afternoon snack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's usually more like a piece of fruit or um, if there's like maybe a pancake left over for breakfast, we'll just do that. It's just a small meal. And then dinner is between six and seven usually. And we actually ate out for dinner with family. Um, so it's kind of the, the four meals of the day and then some stolen Easter egg in the middle, if you can get a hand on it. <laughs> I love it. It's so fun. And this was not just like an Easter egg. It was like a chocolate turmeric, right? Some sort of, did I get that no, right? That's what I made for Easter. No, this was a green and blacks. It was organic. Okay. So that's cool. still good. But still, you know, one of those giant, big, massive Easter eggs. And he was gone for just a bit too long and he was just a bit too quiet. <laughs> And I had a feeling and my mama gut was right. Chocolate. That's so funny. Kids crack me up. I feel like they start showing their personality very early and you know what they're doing and you know what they're up to and they know what they're doing. They're we, I don't think we give kids enough credit for how wise they are. Mm -hmm. I love it. He fully knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He knew he should be hiding to eat that Easter egg. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I guess that leads me to my final question or topic for you is the, um, the transition from one kiddo to two. How has oh, that good. been? Um, especially now that you, you clearly have a very spirited two and a half year olds. And so how's that transition? How is being a mama of two versus a mama of one? Um, especially now that you're out of the colic, I'm sure the colic was like survivor mode. So now that, yeah. um, that's kind of resolved and how, how is life for you as a mom of two? Yeah, it's, you know, with every stage, your capacity grows so much that now I look back on having one kid and think, tell me why I thought any aspect of that was difficult. But I would never say that to someone with just one kid because it really was because I was learning. Um, And parts of that really were difficult. But so two kids, I think the biggest thing has been, the biggest transition for me has been the the loss of personal time. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you have one kid, when they nap, it's like you have no kids and you just do whatever you want. But you know, the magic moments when two of them sleep together and not huge. And then with, you know, they pretty much go down for the night at seven. Um, but you know, then if one of them doesn't, and then the next night, the other one doesn't quite. And so personal time has been the hardest thing, um, to find in the biggest transition for me, because I'm very introverted and I need that kind of personal time. Um, and just having none of it during the day, it kind of starts at seven when they go down. So that's, that's been the biggest transition, but, um, and then helping one kid adjust to having the other kid around has been a massive part of our journey. And, um, you know, we did as best we could, but you know, it's a journey for them as well. So that's been a big part of it. Um, but I'm loving it. I keep small goals for every day and don't try and think that I can do too much. So like today we're just going to get laundry done and there we go. And, you know, then I feel good about actually achieving the thing that I set out to do. Or, mm-hmm. you know, today we're going to run one errand. If nothing else happens, it's all fine. Or today we're just going to get the dishwasher unloaded, you know, yes. whatever. I love that because what a, what an important like mindset trick or tool to take into parenthood is that 
set yourself up to like be proud of the day versus feel like you were defeated by the day. <laughs> Pick one thing that you know you can get done. And then, and then like also celebrating that outside of that one thing you got done, that one thing was in addition to being an awesome mom to two kids for the rest of the day, which is huge in and of itself. I love it. Ethan is so good at bringing that and reminding me at the end of the day, if he comes home and the house is trashed and I haven't done anything on my to-do list and you're so you did great today. Oh, that's cool. That's right. Yes. I kept you. You're kind of coming in and out. There you are. Small goals. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. And it sounds like your husband is pretty incredible, um, in terms of his support for you and going along with like the plastic and all of it sounds like, and I know he was in school, wasn't he for a while. And so, um, now he's done. And so he's probably able to be home way more for two kids than he was for one. He So that was great. Um, he's actually going back to school in September, so oh, that will gosh. continue to be part of our journey. But you have a wonderful nine-month season to just enjoy seeing two kids and home a little bit more and have some more family time. So that feels like a, a nine-month vacation, which is really sweet to have. So, yeah. That's awesome. And one thing that I really love, speaking of your husband, is that the Whole Food Diary, the website, the Instagram, the social media, it seems as though it's much – it's like it's a family affair. So it's something – it's not just you. It's it's really your your family. So how did the Whole Food Diary come about um, from the beginning? I'm curious to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. I One day I just thought, okay, I'm going to post my food. I just had this feeling that I was you know, kind of supposed to do it and put it out there. And I was like, ugh, I don't want to do that. No one wants to see another plate of food on Instagram. That's ridiculous. But I just couldn't shake this, like, okay, this is, this, I'm supposed to do this. So I, I just snapped a really bad, no natural light, <laughs> iPhone 3 picture of our oatmeal and put it up and didn't tell anyone that I'd done it and kind of just made it a game for myself to learn social media and how it works. Um, but it, from the beginning, it was both of us. And the day that I created the account, I put that tagline, a husband and wife journey and loving our bodies with what we love to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to put the whole picture out there because... Jared and I are so different. He grew up on Cheez-Its and Dr. Pepper and that was his norm. And, you know, I grew up with a more health conscious mom and, you know, we quit beef when I was 10 and picked apples from my grandparents' yard. And so we've come from very different places and we've both been on journeys and we're now on this journey together and kids. And there's so many different pieces to that that I won't be able to see what it's really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and what different people's journeys look like. So, and what it looks like in marriage. I actually get a ton of questions about that and people scared to go into marriage or a relationship with a partner that looks different from them or has different values and how to make it work. And trust me, if Jared and I can make our eating journeys meld together, you can too, because yeah, we were different. I love that. I feel like we should have you back on and maybe bring him along. Maybe here's what I'd like to do. I would like my husband and I to come visit and then we all sit down around a table and eat good food and share our stories because I love it. It would not be fun because I really feel like our listeners love to hear how relationships work through all of this, through parenthood and eating differences and mindset differences and, you know, our background differences, I think. And you guys are such a perfect example of making that work and, and, um, seeming to enjoy the process as well, which is so cool. No, it really can be a fun journey together and we should absolutely do that four way interview because I think it, people do want to see 
how relationship plays into food. And relationship is actually such a big part of eating and eating journeys for people. And even on the baby stuff, the biggest, most heartfelt questions that I've got about it haven't actually been about food and babies. They've been about the relational side of it. And this family member is scared of me feeding our child this. Mm -hmm. And what do you do if someone says this to you? And so there's a huge relational aspects to food that I think we need to talk about more. um, Because they're yeah. We'll have you back. We're going to, my family's going to be a little bit more mobile soon. So we'll make our way up to you and we will, uh, we'll do it. I'm pretty excited. That's great. That will be fun. Yes. Okay. Well, where can people find you? Um, where's the best way to get it in touch with you and where can they find your ebook? Yeah. Um, so I am on Instagram, which is where I hang out the most at the whole food diary. And then if you want to see the baby journey, which we'll be picking up again in about seven weeks, um, that's at the whole food baby. And our blog is thewholefooddiary.com and you can find the book on there. We can make a discount for your listeners. Um, Let's do that. Maybe we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, totally. You guys can uh, go to the, head to the show notes and you will find yeah. a discount code there. But we'll do a 15% off coupon for you guys. That's so you can awesome. get your hands on it. That's on the blog along with the other different eBooks that we've um, put out. So yeah, that's, but Instagram is where we hang out the most. So okay. for some real life, hit that stories button and you'll see what it really looks like it's, in Todd's land. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories by far. I love it. And I don't, I don't intake a lot on Instagram. Like I put a lot out, but I don't have a lot of time to take in. Yeah. Um, but there are a few stories that I always, I'm like, I got to go find Kezia's and I'll watch. And I just, I love it. Your kids are amazing. Your stories are fun. It's very real and authentic. And I, I so appreciate that. So I think we could all use a little bit more of that in our lives. <laughs> Authenticity. Yeah especially in the world of social media. So hopefully beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I know it's probably not easy for you to step away for an hour. So I'm so grateful. And I hope that you have a lovely Friday and, um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me on and for putting these conversations out there. So thank you. Thank you. It's It's good to be here. Awesome. Well, guys, you can find us um, if you want to email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. Find me at laura.radicalroots and jess at jess.holdthespace. And until next week, we will uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.